0: You're listening to the Benton Heights Presbyterian Church Podcast. We hope this message brings you encouragement and helps to build your faith in Jesus. We're glad you're here to listen to this message from Pastor Paul. We are right in the middle of the New Testament book of James written by Jesus' little brother. And in our text today, we are also right in the middle of today's issues. It seems that there is culture on one side. Jesus and the Bible on the other side. In the culture, it's drinking in excess. With Jesus and the Bible, it's being filled with the spirit. In the culture, there is gender fluidity. With Jesus and the Bible, there are two genders alone. In the culture, there is sexual transition. With Jesus and the Bible, there is marriage between a man and a woman only. In the culture, it's all about money and striving after more money. In the Jesus and the Bible, it's about generosity and mercy and producing good fruit. You see, there are a lot of facets to culture and when all is said and done, there are only two cultures. That means every aspect of culture is coming from one of two places. It either comes down from heaven or as James is about to tell us, it's gonna come up from hell. When ultimately all of human history comes to an end and eternity is ushered in, there will be two cultures, the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven and the judgment of hell. And you and I live in the middle of these two realities and every Day, we have to decide, are we going to invite heaven down or are we going to pull hell up? And our life on this earth is filling the pressure between these two realities. And we're talking about values in an environment in which we live, whether it is leading us toward wholeness and life, or it's leading us toward confusion and destruction and death. The reason for all of this is that the culture in which we live determines the kind of person we will become and the legacy we will leave. You see, there is a culture all around your life. There's a culture around your marriage and your family and your business and your ministry. There's a culture in our church. And the question is is it coming up from hell or is it coming down from heaven? And that's exactly where we find ourselves in James chapter 3. And again, the frustration is that we are living between these two realities and we feel the pressure of that every day. So James opens back up to us in verse 13 when he writes, Who is wise and understanding among you? Let them show it by their good life, by deeds done in humility that comes from wisdom. And now you're gonna see the division between that culture that comes up against that culture that comes down. But if you harbor bitter envy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast about it or deny the truth. Such wisdom does not come down from heaven, but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. It comes down, I mean, it comes up from hell, not down from heaven. For where you have envy and selfish ambition, there you find disorder in every evil practice. But the wisdom that comes from heaven is, first of all, pure, then peace-loving, considerate, submissive, and we're going to be looking at all these words in just a second, full of mercy and and good fruit, impartial and sincere, peacemakers who sow in peace, reap a harvest of righteousness." So, James is clear. It's either hell up or kingdom down. That's it. The culture in which we live seems, by definition, to be hell up, and we need to intentionally invite God's kingdom down. So, first, let's deal with that culture that James talks about that is hell up. He calls it earthly, unspiritual, demonic. That, my friends, is a false trinity. Earthly, unspiritual, demonic. That's the way that most people think. That's the way most people live. It's the way most people vote. It's what determines most people's behaviors. It's how we spend time and our money. Ultimately, it's all descending down into an eternal pit. And there are markers for this. First, he says, it is caused by bitter jealousy and selfishness. Bitter jealousy and selfishness are what are the backbone, if you will, of hell up culture. So let's talk about that that first one, the bitter jealousy part, bitter envy. It can come at us in one of two ways. One is that you have a perceived offense. Someone has said or done something to you that has offended you or bothered you, frustrated you, has left you bitter, but let me say this, bitter is demonic, and the way to overcome bitterness is with forgiveness. The other way of looking at bitter jealousy, let's stress the jealousy part of this. This is where someone doesn't like you, not because you did something wrong or you did something bad, it's because God did something for you. God has given something to you that they haven't experienced and so they're envious, they're they're jealous. It's like we peer into people's lives and instead of rejoicing with them, we are envious and jealous of them. James has already told us that every good and perfect gift comes down from the Father. So the Father gives them a gift and we're not celebrating we're envying, the problem is not them, it's us. I mean, think about how much of your life is driven by bitter envy and jealousy. And and let me tell you this, you cannot be a good spouse if you are a jealous and envious, bitter person. You can't be a good parent or a good child if you are a bitter or envious person. You can't be a good friend if you are a bitter or jealous person. Some of you know what that's like, because when something good happens, there are a couple of people in your life, you're not going to tell. In addition, some of these indicators as to which culture we're living in, he says a selfish ambition in your hearts. The Bible talks about the heart as being the seat, the sum, the center of your whole life. We even use this language in our day you know let 's get to the heart of the matter let let 's focus it let 's get to what really is the focal point. The Bible talks about the heart some nine hundred times. The Bible says that the words that come out of my mouth come out of your heart. The decisions you make come from your heart the feelings that You feel the emotions, that all comes from your heart. The point is, God needs to change what's in here before anything can change out there. We live in a world of self-help. But let me tell you, you cannot help yourself. You need God to help you. And actually, not just to help you, you need God to fix you and change you. The Bible says that he takes out your old heart and puts in you a new heart. You know what that means? That's how bad your heart is. The old heart is not even a fixer upper, it's about complete renewal. And it's from a new heart that a marriage transformation begins. It's from a new heart that a family is put back together. It's from a new heart that a church glorifies God alone. So examine your heart. If you had to pick one word to describe it, is it bitter, jealous, angry, fearful, sad, broken, joyful, hopeful, because your heart really is the compass for your life. It points out what your future will be. Show me your heart and I'll show you your destiny. James says that when we are inviting hell up, we have selfish ambition in our heart. Now, ambition in and of itself is not a bad thing. It just depends upon what you are ambi- who or what you are ambitious for. You may say, look, I'm, I'm really ambitious to help single moms. Great. I'm really ambitious to have children learn about Jesus. Great. The difference between ambition and selfish ambition is who it's for. Godly ambition answers this question. What is God's will and what will glorify him and benefit and bless others? Whereas selfish ambition is about you know i don 't care about you, I don 't care about him, I only care about me. And, and let me tell you how selfish ambition works in the church. It 's about my way, my agenda, my preferences. You, this church, exists to serve me. I don 't want to be a giver, I want to be a taker. I don 't want to be a worshiper, I want to be a consumer. How do you counteract this? It's not with no ambition. It's with a servant's ambition. What's best for this family? What's best for this marriage? What's best for this church family? And then James talks about boasting. All these words seem to keep going together. What is it, you know, what we like to do is boast. What are the things we boast about? Well, we boast in our possessions, Here's all the stuff I've got. We boast in our position. I've got a title. You are so beneath me. We boast in our plans. Hey, I haven't arrived yet, but man, I'm I'm getting there. I'm I'm going to get there. Our whole world is boasting. How many of you think politicians are adorable? Every election, they're like, I'm going to do this, and I'm going to do that. And I'm like, no, you probably aren't, because the last guy didn't, and, and the guy before that didn't. What we don't need is more boasting. We need more results. There is a line in the Old Testament given by a godless man, King Ahab of Israel, no less, and he says this, that a man who puts on armor shouldn't boast like a man who's taking it off. The point is, don't tell me how tough you are until you have returned from battle. Like, every husband's going to be great leading up to their wedding. Every mom's a great mom until they had that first child. <laughs> All right? You put a little time in battle, then tell us how you're doing. Again, the opposite of selfish ambition is servant's ambition. The opposite of boasting in ourselves is boasting in the Lord. 2 Corinthians ten seventeen is exactly that. But let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. This is the difference between a testimony and a biography. A biography is here's what I did. Look at me. Look what I did. Look what I accomplished. Look what I did under my own greatness. A testimony is look what God did. If you're a Christian and something good happens in your life, feel free to tell everyone. I mean, it's good news. But make sure it's a testimony about what he did and not a biography about what you think you did. If you have experienced a healing, it's not because you deserved it or because you made it happen through your faith. No, just thank God that you got healed. If you're single and you pray, Lord, bring me someone with low expectations and the Lord heard and answered that prayer the boasting is in the Lord when good things happen we give him credit when bad things happen maybe it's our fault or maybe it's no one's fault but instead of blaming God keep trusting him so in a Addition to bitter envy and selfish ambition and boasting another marker of the culture that comes from the hell up is denying the truth what that is is that people will take information and they will weaponize it for their use and abuse not for god's glory and others good denying the truth and that's the world we live in something happens the truth is not told We're living in a day that even an apology is weaponized because then that all of a sudden begins attacks against you, an avalanche of attacks. You know what? No one is more guilty of this than religious people. They will quote verses while they gut you. Jesus shows up and says, I am the way and the truth and the life. He says he is the truth. And those who were most Against him were the religious people who opposed him publicly, violently. They actually murdered him because they denied the truth. Look, just because you can quote verses doesn't mean you're on Team Jesus. Satan knows the Bible better than you do, and believe me, he's not on Team Jesus. So at the end of the day, it's not just knowing the truth. It's loving the truth, submitting to the truth, surrendering to the truth. And the result of this, James says, is disorder in every evil practice. What God wants is order. Satan's job is to bring disorder. And you know that Satan is at work and the culture of hell is coming up because there is disorder. Factions, divisions, betrayal, conflict untruths, masquerading as truth. And part of the way that we get this disorder is when we are loyal to people or causes and not the kingdom. There are pastors, friends of mine, who won't talk about sin or hell or marriage between a man and a woman. And I'm not changing just because they've strayed from Scripture. And then James says, every evil practice. You and I, if we just feed our flesh, if we just give in to earthly desires, James previously told us, then evil comes within us that is instigated by the forces of the culture around us. When we submit succumb, surrender to temptations and desires. Literally, there is no end to our behavior. You know, we've all said and done things that we later thought, man, I shouldn't have said that or I shouldn't have done that. Well, it would be way worse if the Lord Jesus didn't intervene. We live in a day that calls evil good, darkness light Because we live in a day where people would say, oh, that's not a sin. That's alternative. That's progressive. That's diversity. And every evil practice often shows up sexually. Just completely baseless behavior. Hell up. We are living in a culture... It is hell up. Does that, any, any of that sound familiar to you? So let me tell you where it all comes from. Satan harbors bitter jealousy. He is envious of God. He has nothing but selfish ambition in his heart. He boasts a lot. He deceives the truth. He creates Disorder. He encourages every evil practice. Now, you either live hell up or kingdom down. That's where James 3 is going. And let me even say that that hell up has been formalized into really a a religion, a, a secular religion that has overtaken Western culture. Now, before I move into James's heaven down construct... Let me take a moment and just lay out the differences of these two worldviews another way. Heaven down is Christian theology based on the truth of God's word, how to build something. Using God's word to build a marriage, using God's word to build a family, to build finances, to build a social order, to build a church. Hell up is the opposite. It's not about how to build, it's how to break, how to dismantle, how to deconstruct gender, sexuality, marriage, the family, the church. So how are we going to choose to live in the midst of an apostate culture? I think all of us, Christians and non-Christians alike, would say, hey, someone's got to fix this. For the Christian, that someone is Jesus We need his life, his death, his resurrection, his kingdom to be that someone. But for those who don't know God, their answer is we need the government and social justice causes and people in authority to control the narrative. And in case you're wondering if this sermon is political, it's not political, it's biblical. We're in James 3, where all of this is discussed. Here's the truth. You're a sinner. I'm a sinner. Jesus is the Savior. He died for you. He rose to forgive and change you. And until you meet Jesus, you are not a citizen of the kingdom. And your only option is to live hell up. We don't want that for you. God doesn't want that for you. So let me give you the other option. It's heaven down. The problem is here. The solution is there. The destruction is here. The restoration is there. The sin is here. The Savior is there. I'm not the solution. You're not the solution. It's from above. If you were to ask, well, what does a life look like on the earth that has lived kingdom down James would first point out something that he's already told us in chapter 1, verse 5. If any of you lacks wisdom, ask God. Heaven down living, kingdom down living begins with going to God. You see, as things get darker, you're going to need to go deeper in him. You're going to need more Bible, more prayer, more worship, more Christian fellowship. It's not about being perfect. It's about making progress because God has made you new. The first thing, or the next thing I should say, that James says about that that comes down from heaven is that it is pure. It's unadulterated. It's clean. All of a sudden, because God is changing you from the inside out, the outside is starting to change. That means my sexuality now belongs to the Lord. My dollars belong to the Lord. My words belong to the Lord. My career path belongs to the Lord. My marriage belongs to the Lord. My children belong to the Lord. This means I don't care about what they say, I only care about what He says. So, Lord, is this pure or impure? Is this right or is this wrong? And, God, when I am impure and wrong, thank you for sending Jesus who died for me to forgive me and to cleanse me. And thank you for giving me a new desire to change my behavior. Another word James gives is peace-loving. peace loving The opposite of this is people who are always contentious and arguing. Every day we get up, okay, who or what are we against today? Jesus is the Prince of Peace. And when the Prince of Peace rules over your life, you get to become a more peace-loving person. It doesn't mean you can't disagree, you just seek to do it in a more godly way. The next word he uses is considerate. That means loving and kind. In this world, there are basically two ways to lead you either lead by control or you lead by influence. Control is literally seeking to replace God in someone's life. You have to do what I say. I'm, I'm your master, I'm your God. Influence, on the other hand, is I love you, I care for you, I want to help guide you. Where is most of this world's leadership? Which category? Most of it's in control, right? The kingdom of God is based on influence because our God is a loving father, a patient father. James told us earlier that our heavenly father is slow to anger. You're going to want to run to him because he's there to help. The next word that James gives us for heaven down living is submissive. Now, immediately, two things about that word. Number one, it doesn't mean being a doormat. And the opposite of submissive is overbearing. It kind of goes back to the control issue, doesn't it? Submissive is really about yielding to authority. And the Bible says we must yield to the authority of the state as long as its laws are not against God. And the Bible says we must be yielding to the authority of church leadership. Again, as long as the church is not going against Scripture and the will of God. And ultimately, we are to yield to the authority of God. Next, James says that heaven down living is full of mercy and good fruit. The opposite of that is unspiritual. You look at someone's life who is full of mercy and good fruit and you know what you see? You see somebody putting grace on people. They're helpful. They're generous. You know what I see out of them? I see the fruit of the Spirit. They're not perfect. But when they're wrong, they admit it. They apologize for it. They seek to grow from it. In addition, he says the kingdom of God is impartial. It's the opposite of demonic. Impartial is let me hear both sides. I hope that somebody in the world would do that. The Bible says everyone seems right until we hear the other side. Impartiality is I just want to be true to the truth, not deny the truth. I want to go to God's word on this. Not just my own thoughts. Then sincere. Not a flatterer, not a people pleaser. Sincere is, I'm trying to do what's best for the Lord. I'm trying to do what's best for you. I'm not here to take advantage of you to benefit myself. I want to honor him. And then he says, a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. So friends, we have a decision to make today. First question, what is the culture of your heart? Where is your heart? If you had to pick one word out of these pairs, which one would you pick? Joyful or sad? Broken or healed? Bitter or forgiving? Angry or trusting? What's the culture of your heart? Second, if you're married, what's the culture of your marriage? Is it kingdom down or hell up? Is there a lot of conflict and strife at your house? Then maybe both of you need to get on your knees and invite the wisdom that comes from above to put out the fire that's coming up from below. Next, what is the culture of your home with your kids? Does it feel like life? and flourishing, and joy, or does it feel like hell? They're going to be tough times for all of us, but is there laughter? Do your kids know and love Jesus? And then what's the culture of our church? You know, when we worship, we are inviting the Holy Spirit to come down from above, How many of you, in talking about this heaven down or hell up living, you look at the world around and you you see what we're talking about. It can be frustrating. It can be annoying. It can be exhausting. Or it can be clarifying and freeing. Because you have the freedom to choose which type of culture you want to operate in. And let me tell you, God only blesses one of those two. And when you come here, I hope and pray that this feels like family. Because we all have the same king. So that you can come here and be renewed. And find hope. And be refreshed. So that you can go out there. And invite folks to come in, taste, and see that the Lord is good. So, this whole thing about living heaven down. Now, granted, none of us is ever going to get that perfectly, not while we're here. But I'll tell you where it starts it starts with a relationship with Jesus Christ. You've got to know him. That's where true peace and joy and hope and forgiveness and grace and mercy and love come from. The world cannot give those things. Not truly. You may find some, you know, we'll find happiness but true joy meaning in the midst of no matter what else is going on. You may find love but not The unconditional love that God gives, that no matter what, He's not leaving you or forsaking you. He's not turning His back on you. He will never abandon you. It starts there. If you have never before acknowledged that you're a sinner and you need a Savior... you simply turn to the Lord Jesus and say, I I make a mess of my life. Jesus, I want to surrender to you. I'm not going to be perfect, but I want to make progress. I want to take that new heart that you're putting in me and you be on display through me. Maybe you're tired of just living hell up. And if that's you, you can just, where you are, can simply pray, Lord Jesus, take over. I want you to feel me. I want you to make a difference. And then you need to tell somebody. Romans 10, 9 says, if you say from your mouth that Jesus is Lord, in other words, you gotta, you gotta express it, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you know that he died on the cross in your place for your sins, but that he didn't stay dead, that God raised him from the dead, Romans ten nine says, you will be saved. There's no question. We hope you enjoyed the message. You can connect with us on Instagram, Facebook, our website, bhprez.org, and subscribe to our YouTube channel to stay up to date on all our latest content.